Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Lois Glar's work has been shown in exhibitions throughout Canada and the United States. Her sculptures are in the Racine Art Museum, the Bronfman Collection, Claridge Investments, Idea Exchange Art Gallery, and the Key Corporation. Lois has received grants from the Toronto Arts Council, Canada Council, and Ontario Arts Council. Most recently, she received Ontario Arts Council Exhibition Grant for I Am Here, a 2021 exhibition at Redhead Gallery and Prototypes Loop 2019, an exploration of sound, narrative, light, and audience participation. The latter exhibition was made possible through the generous support of Canada's Council Explore and Create Grant in 2018. Lois's art practice consists of an ongoing series of drawing installations utilizing found and bought urban objects as mark-making tools. She manipulates these diverse and often disparate materials, aware of the aesthetic relationship they have with one another, and by implication, the physical and psychological space they occupy. Each drawing installation builds on the ideas of preceding installations and are site-specific. Lois is a member of the Redhead Gallery in Toronto. Please help me welcome Lois Sklar to the podcast. Good afternoon, Lois. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. I'm looking forward to talking to you about your work. I'm looking forward to it too. So I thought we could start with you recently had an exhibition at the Redhead Gallery with interactive sculptures. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I can. The, the exhibition was called I Am Here. And it was based on a book that I'd read by Doris Lessing called The Summer Before the Dark. I read it in 1999. And in that book, she talks about her protagonist, who's a woman in her 50s, who faces psychological and physical changes in her life. And she feels like she's becoming invisible. Well, I'm well past 50s, but at the time, I was turning 50. And I thought... This is something that really appealed to me. How do I stand up and say who I am and declare my visibility? And with that started a a series of rattles that I've called I Am Here. And so this show is really a continuation of that, an extension of that particular show. And I did show those. I've shown those off and on. But this is quite a large collection of them. What I find interesting about them is your show is interactive. What made you decide to make it an interactive art piece versus a passive one where we just observe it on the wall? Well, it's interesting because I was planning the show before the pandemic hit. And so it was going to be easy peasy to have interactive work. And the reason that I wanted it to be interactive is that I have experimented with some interactive computer generated work. And I really wanted to have more of a visceral kind of a feel to it because that work was activated by light and by hand movement. I really wanted people to experience what it would feel like to 
in this particular work to shake the rattle, what would that be like for them? And it was a complete joy when I sat at the gallery to watch people interacting and they were so pleased that they were be able to touch the work because in a gallery, you're normally not allowed to do that. And so it's giving people permission to play, which is also addresses a lot of what's in my work. You mentioned that COVID sort of shifted how people interacted. Were people hesitant or did you find that they were just felt like it was a freedom for you to say, go ahead, touch it and be part of this? No, most people were very hesitant. Are you sure I can touch it? And then I also had to provide gloves. So mm -hmm. people had to handle the, the rattles with a glove, which took away a bit, but they were just so thrilled Mm -hmm. to be able to touch and then to hear the different sounds of the rattles. Some people were moving with the rattles. So it really allowed a sense of freedom that I didn't really know what to expect. And I was quite pleased. Now, you have worked with a very diverse range of materials in your practice and have a craft practice along with your fine arts practice. Can you talk about those two worlds and how they inform each other? Yeah, I started off in visual arts as I'm a fine arts graduate, but I had children after I got married and they were very close in age. I had three very close in age and I was starting to work with clay, which was a great sublimator. <laughs> And, uh, but I, when I took it home, I couldn't work in it because the children were too little and it was just too much of a mess. So I started working in textiles, which sort of developed from days when I was a kid and used to make puppets and put on puppet shows. And these textiles developed into what I would call non-traditional dolls. And they could be voodoos. They were dolls that were not, you wouldn't give them to a child, let's put it that way. And I gradually they became vessel-like. At the time, I was using a, a mixture of found objects and natural objects to make these pieces and stuffed forms. And they eventually started to become vessel-like. And that made me think about the female and using the vessel as a symbol for a female. Mm -hmm. And so that's what led to these burlap sculptures that I made for about 10 or 12 years and experimented a lot with just the actual construction of them, because it was something that I developed, to sort of the challenge of, well, how big could I make a sculpture so that didn't have an interior support system, but yet stood on its own. So it led to all sorts of different resolutions from very tall, like maybe six foot forms to bowl forms to other kinds of sculptural forms. And then I sort of had it. <laughs> and I was ready to, to look beyond that to something else. Yeah, so that was probably 98 I stopped making those, 1998. And, and what was that something else that you found yourself creating then? Well, and it was funny because I went back to my dolls and I think the dolls have always been sort of a grounding, a way of working at through emotions and of being vulnerable. They were all about vulnerability. And so I did go back to the dolls. I think I had a few years where it really was sort of all over the place. It sort of culminated in a show I had in 2003, which was called On Becoming. And it was really, really biographical, the, this show. There were a series of little figures that were probably no more than eight to 10 inches tall that were part dinosaur bodies and part pregnant paper mache bodies. <laughs> and they were rattles as well. They, these were rattles because that was also going along with this theme of I am here. And so I made sort of a parade of these, starting with learning how to scream, learning how to crawl, the inevitability of death and extinction, death rides a stag. So it was really from birth to death. 
these little figures. And then along the way, there were what I called little beasties. It was very much a narrative. And the little beasties were, are the little things that stand in our way of getting ahead and going forward. Uh, always saying, you can't do this. Nope, not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> so that felt like it was a very rewarding show. But at the end, I felt like, well, maybe that's the end. Maybe that's all I can do. And I took about a year off while I sort of wondered. I didn't really know where I wanted to go with my work. And that does happen, I think, in, unless you stay in one particular slot, I guess, then, then it does happen. Certainly man has changed so much over the years. Is narrative an important part of your work or is it more the materiality of it? It's more the materiality of it, but sometimes it develops into narrative. I do like to write. And I've thought recently about combining writing with work. And that's something that I'm sort of thinking about and playing with that idea. So it seems natural for it to go into a narrative, but that's not where I start. I think there are, there are general themes that go throughout my work, a lot about vulnerability. And then some of it is materiality and figuring out structure and how am I going to make this? So it's the challenge of, of how am I going to put this together? That's always there for me. Some of your work does have an installation quality to it. Is that part of your thought process as you're developing it? I think I've always been very concerned about how my work is displayed. Always. So even with the burlap sculptures, the uh, first major show I had of that was at the Ontario Craft Council, as it was called then. And it was to fit the space. That was a significant part of the way I thought about the work. And I think starting there, that's when I started becoming aware of how I wanted to place things. I also would get really upset if I had a piece in a show and the show was crowded and I didn't like the way it was displayed on the wall. In fact, I've taken work out for that reason. So I have a very strong feeling about that, not to my advantage, <laughs> but the installation work as it is now started after that period of time, after I'm becoming, when I had a year of not knowing where I was going and then thinking, well, this is it. I'm just going to start getting rid of stuff because I have huge collection of junk that I use. And I started taking things and putting it on the wall. And I thought, oh, I sort of like the way what's happening with that, because it also in a way became a narrative and then a narrative through movement, through objects. And that was in 2005. That has developed into the installations that I've been creating since then that I consider very minimal. They've become more and more minimal and that I use wire or elastic cord, and I use a minimum of objects in it, but it's become important to record what those objects were as much as I can remember. So that a lot of the shows that I have are accompanied by a description of what the objects were, where I might've found them, or it's been given by someone, what year that might've been. That's become significant. That whole idea of memory has become mm -hmm. very important. And a lot of my shows are called Rememory, memory one or memory excerpts, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it probably has again to do a bit with my age and, and trying to recall what was important to me at the time that I collected that. Why would I be attracted to something like that? Yeah. So that's sort of where it's going. You also have a long history of drawing in your process and your work. Can you speak to some of the drawing work you've done? Um, actually, I don't know that I've done traditional drawing that much. I mean, the kind of drawing that I've done traditionally is a very different technique than what I use on the walls. Mm -hmm. I consider that what I'm doing drawing installations because I'm using line. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I call them drawing installations. 
But you use wire to draw, is that correct? I use wire or I use elastic cord. Can you describe what those look like for anybody who hasn't seen them? Because they're exquisite and really draw you in as a viewer. Uh, thank you. I'm not sure exactly other than to say that it's, again, I guess the way I work is I work within my space. I have a 15-foot wall in my studio that I can work with that kind of installation. So I, if I'm working and doing a like a room size installation where I have more than one, what I call a drawing, then I would have to take that drawing down. Once I complete it, I have to label everything because I won't remember where everything goes uh, and store it. And then I have to start another one. So hopefully they relate to one another within the installation. The most recent installations was one at uh, Redhead Gallery in 2018 and at Loop, which was an animated one, computer animated. They were on a 15-foot wall. They stood away from the wall because, again, well, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but shadows are a very important part of what I'm doing. So any of the shadows, some of the shadows are real and some of them are drawn in on my work. So it becomes this question of what's real and what's not real. And I like that sort of play of trying to determine what is actually there and what's not. I don't know. It's hard to describe the work like you said. You may need to go to my website. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I recommend people check out your website for sure, because the drawing pieces, the lines and the, the way you display them is really intriguing. I love that idea of play with shadow and what's real and what's not real. So when you're actually installing these pieces, the installation must be a creative process for you as well. Always, even though I have a pretty good idea of how it's going to be installed. And I have had other people install them at other places, not very often, but they have. And that always is a challenge is to try to tell people how I want it displayed. But anytime you, for me, when I go in, I know that I'm going to be making some corrections. Mm -hmm. I know that it's not going to be exact, but I don't know personally if I would feel comfortable going into a space completely just with my materials and not knowing where it was going and working in that space. Like it would just take forever. So it's like, and I think I would feel maybe someday I'll be able to do that. But right now that doesn't feel like a comfortable thing. It's a control thing. I want to know that I have a, a firm idea of what I'm going to do, and then I can play with it when I'm there. Has there ever been a piece where you think it's going one direction and you get to the space and you totally move in a new direction with it because of lighting or space or, you know, configuration or relationships to other works? Actually, the one piece that comes to mind was a piece I had at the Gladstone and I think it was 2018 as well. I had a whole corner in one of the hallways and in the corner, I had a piece that was, it was elastic cord and on the elastic cord, it just had minimal amount of objects. And I think there were six cords about three inches apart, horizontal, going across the corner of this room. Okay. And so I thought, okay, I think it was the last piece I did for this. And so then we started lighting it and all of a sudden there were these shadows on it that I hadn't even anticipated because when I was working in the studio, I just hadn't been playing with the lighting at all. And what happened is these lines started to form these triangles shapes. They made triangle shapes partly on the wall so that when you looked at it, it wasn't just a series of lines going across or in the, sh the shadows of the lines. It was actually triangle shapes. Mm -hmm. And that really excited me <laughs> and made me want to do some more around that, you know, in terms of, well, how, how can you 
play with those shadows. It's not just a direct shadow. I mean, I, before I'd been drawing shadows, but this opened up a new possibility, which I really haven't played with that much, but it's there. It's in my mind. Have you ever done a piece where you do the installation and then you remove the physical artwork and leave the shadows behind? I have not done that in a gallery. I've done that in my house, in my studio. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll put more shadow in than I have lines for. So again, it'll be make-believe lines. And so those will become drawings on the wall. I find that interesting, that whole idea of what's real and not real and getting your viewer to really engage to see what's happening. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know that everybody does. Sometimes it's really subtle. Like I think of when I had at Harborfront, I had a a big piece that was suspended from the ceiling and part of it was connected to a big platform on the floor. And there were lots of shadows that I drew in there, but it was really hard to tell Mm -hmm. because they were thin lines you know, just the way the light was hitting it, the lines the shadows were making were very thin. And so it was hard to tell. So I don't know if people would know to get up, you know, unless they're really, really looking carefully. But then that's the fun of it. What is, what are people going to look at? What are they going to see? You know, that's part of the adventure. You've also done a couple of artists in residencies. How has that helped your work in your process? Well, always, a artist in residency is always fabulous. You go in thinking one thing, you come out completely different. At least that's been my experience. And I think one of the turning points for me was this one that I had in Scotland in 2016. And I had also gotten to a point there was where I was not sure what I wanted to do. And in fact, I was starting to think about purging, getting rid of stuff again. And I had shipped over a box of objects that I said, I'm just going to leave there. And, I, and when I get to the residency, all I'm going to do is just draw and think and write. I'm not going to do anything in the studio. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> I also brought with me my elastic, some elastic cord. And when I got there, I did. I got excited and I started playing around with this elastic cord and these objects. And I thought, I've got to play with this on the wall. And that's how these timelines, I did a series called Timelines that started off horizontal with things suspended on them. And that's how that piece that I was talking about in the corner came to be. That was a timelines piece, the one that was at the Gladstone. And it just set off a whole series of elastic cord installations. They eventually became vertical because horizontal, they started to lose their elasticity and it really wasn't going to work as well for more, you know, lasting kind of installation. So, I mean, you know, that was a learning experience. And so that whole series developed out of my going there over to Scotland and thinking that I wasn't going to be doing anything in the studio. And then, boom, I was off on this tangent. It was so exciting. And that's led to a lot of the different installations that I'm doing now. Did you find that being in a residency is almost like a reset for your mind and your thought process? Or is it that it awakens you to new possibilities? I think it awakens you to new possibilities. I think you have to be open to that. And I mean, I haven't been to that many. And so it always is a little bit intimidating. Yeah, I think it can be somewhat intimidating because you, you're going there and there are other people there. I think there were seven artists all together at this place. And I mean, it was just an ideal place. It was in a castle. <laughs> it was just an incredible setting. And I would say the majority of them were from Scotland or England, but there were some that were from further afield. 
-hmm. And so again, it's like meeting new people as well. I mean, that's a whole experience in itself and listening to other people's ideas, I think opens you up to different ways of thinking. I don't know. I just got totally immersed in it. And then the other great thing about it was is that the person that was heading the director had a bike that she loaned me. So I was able to bike all over and go to all these great stones. They have all had all sorts of collections of these old stones. And it was just a great experience all around. So it's not just the art. It's mm-hmm. the cultural experience. Yeah, it all, I think, feeds you. To me, that sounds amazing to be able to go to Scotland and to wander around. You did talk a couple of times about there's these moments where you want to get rid of stuff that's in your studio as you're transitioning from one idea to the other. Is that part of your practice? And how does that benefit you as an artist? No, I don't get rid of stuff as I transition. In the Rattles that I just recently had the exhibition, I am here at Rattles. There are pieces in those pieces that are from when I was making dolls in the 80s that I've saved parts of. So I incorporate many, many things into what I'm doing, just like I'm using different objects in the wire or uh, cord installations. Those are all from my collection. It's very hard. When I talk about purge, that's like one of the hardest things in the world because I love all my objects. I'm thinking about it in terms of what happens, you know, I could go anytime, who knows? <laughs> and it's sort of like, what, what's going to happen to all this? Part of me would rather get rid of it myself than having somebody just indiscriminately throw it away. And yet I have a very hard time doing that. So I like this idea that you recycle and you repurpose pieces. Are there any pieces that you have from your long history as an artist that you can't do that to that are just very important pieces for you to contemplate and to go back to? Yeah, there are some finished pieces, like some of my burlap sculptures I still have. Some are in closets, but some are in my house. And I still enjoy those. That was like a big part of my history, really. And I probably one of the more recognized forms of art that I did in terms of uh, getting it out there in different places. So I do, it's not that I destroy, and I, and I also have dolls that I made from the past that I, my dolls were really, in terms of saleability, probably my most saleable thing. I mean, the installations are a little difficult to sell, and I don't even really think about it. But I would say the dolls, I don't have that many dolls, but I do have them. I know I had a retrospective doll show in 2011, I think, and I I contacted people uh, who had specific dolls that I wanted to be in the show. So I was able to do that. And then I had some of my own that were here as well. Mm -hmm. So that was really interesting to go through that process of picking and choosing. (laughs) But I still have a lot I'd like to get rid of. (laughs) There you go. I think every artist has stuff in their studio that they're like, maybe that should go, but I'll hold on to it for a bit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You are preparing for an upcoming show that's going to be happening very soon. Would you mind talking a little bit about what that is and where it's going to be? Yes. Again, along with the installation pieces, specifically the elastic cord ones, in 2019, I created a piece called Lies My Teacher Told Me. And it's the only piece that I made. It was the start of a new series, basically. And I like this idea. It's coming more from a conceptual point than I usually work. And I'm calling the series Lies We Are Told, because it's not just teachers who told us lies. Mm -hmm. And it's based on parental, religious, and educational doctrines and literature. 
and instructional pamphlets during the 40s and 50s when I was in school. And it's taken me years to break away from a lot of those dictates. And I think a lot of people have trouble with that, breaking the rules. So these works are really wide open to interpretation in terms of what I do with them. So for example, in this particular show, it's a place called Relative Space on 330 King Street East. And it's during Design Toronto, which is a citywide design exhibition, I guess, different windows and and things like that. And this particular show is going to run January 14th through February 3rd of the new year. And I'll have three pieces. That's my plan at this stage to have three pieces in it. One will be Lies My Teacher Told Me One. And the other one will be Lies My Teacher Told Me Two. The third one is a new piece that's taking a different format. And then I'm having, never find someone who will do it. I'm having a three inch by 96 inch letters that you can attach to the wall. And all of their saying are PQ, PQ, PQ going all the way across. And it references mind your P's and Q's, mm-hmm. um, which is something you know that we're told to do. And then the other piece that I'm working on right now, it talks more about don't color outside of the lines. It's another thing that we were taught as children. So that's sort of the general theme. And so I'm sort of researching all those different grammar rules, all sorts of different things that apply to this that I think are going to be a lot of fun and that I can create in a variety of different media. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm having fun with it already, although it's kind of a gross subject, but it's... <laughs> I'm sure there's so much to come out of this with what you're talking about. There's so much possibility in the context of the work. I hope so. I know I've taught before and I've always taught uh, how to play because I think that's a really important thing to do in one's work. And I think people lose sight of that. I couldn't agree with you more. I think we lose that ability to play at some point and it's so important. Yeah. As we wrap this up, I always ask my guests to either recommend a book that they like. And more recently, I've also asked them if there's an artist that inspires them. So I'll let you choose which one you would like to talk about. Oh, it's difficult. But recently, I recommended a book to a young student in OCADU called The Courage to Create. It's by Rollo May. I read it years ago. I probably in one of my periods where I was feeling like a little bit lost as to where I wanted to go. And he basically talks very much about the creative process and the roadblocks that we hit and how we go through them. And I just think it's a really important book for anybody, not just artists, Mm -hmm. to recognize that the creative process is not just a straight road. There there are different stopping points and there's different places that uh, are different stages that you go through in the process. And I think we don't recognize that enough and honored enough. I couldn't agree with you more. I think of all the times where I've stopped and started and thought I was on the right path or start down a path and then take a U-turn or go back to something that I was thinking about previously. Yeah. It really isn't a linear journey at all. Linear people have a hard time understanding that. (laughs) Very much so. Well, thank you so much for your time, Liz. I've really enjoyed hearing about your work and I hopefully will get to see your new show. I would love to do that. So good luck with getting that pulled together and finished. Thank you. And I should say, add to that is that you can see it both inside and outside. It's a store and it's got windows all around it, but you can go into the store during their hours. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much. 
Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.